This is the Made For More podcast. The health and wellness industry can be dogmatic and stagnant. We aim to explore what makes up the true essence of the human experience by discussing health, happiness, the human body, and what it truly means to be made for more. I'm your host, Jake Reynolds, along with co-host Lauren Sock and Mary Kathleen Toner. Today's episode of Made for More is sponsored by Functionize Health and Physical Therapy. Functionize Health and Physical Therapy provides modern wellness for the everyday athlete. Functionize is a private pay physical therapy and wellness center serving active adults and athletes across the greater Atlanta area. Built on the foundation of understanding human experience, offering practical solutions, and insisting on an individualized approach, Functionize empowers you to take control of your health and wellness today so you may thrive and enjoy your best years ahead. You can find Functionize Health online at www.functionizehealth.com or call at 404-907-4196. Now, made for more. Welcome everybody to the Made for More podcast. I'm Jake Reynolds. And I'm Lauren Sock. And today we are very excited to welcome on Dr. Rodney Baer, a dentist who specializes in individualized restorative and aesthetic dentistry. Dr. Baer owns his own practice in Sandy Springs, Georgia, um, and it really specializes in helping individuals with temporomandibular dysfunction or disorders. So thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Baer. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So Dr. Baer, before we kind of get into the nitty gritty of TMD, you know, TMD is, is something that we treat. It's something that you treat. So we're, we're definitely connected at the hip on that. But before we get into that, tell us your, your three-minute story. Where are you from? What led you into dentistry? What drives your passion behind treating TMD? So Okay, great. Th- thanks for asking. It's, a, um, it's an interesting journey I've been on. Um, I grew up in central Pennsylvania in a small town and then went to college in West Virginia. Uh, my undergrad degree was actually in marketing, of all things. Uh, After college, I moved to Atlanta uh, just to be in a larger population center uh, in nicer weather. Mm -hmm. Um, Probably a year or two after graduation, I went to my dentist and was told that I had to have my wisdom teeth taken out. You know, I didn't know what that meant, really. So I called a good friend that I had met when I was an undergrad. He was in dental school and he was a practicing dentist in South Florida. And I asked him, you know, what, what does that mean? Do I need to do this? How do I do it? And so... He explained, and then he suggested that I just take a visit to, trip to come visit him, and he would take care of it. Uh, I jumped on the opportunity to go to Miami for a week time. And so when I did that, the first day I was there, um, I just tagged along at his office. He had a little practice with he and his father. It was a what I would call a family-friendly restorative practice. Um, I immediately fell in love with the environment. You know, every patient was treated like family. The conversations were so genuine and upbeat. Uh, I even, my mind was blown that patients even hugged them on the way out the door. <laughs> you know, my, my, my dental experiences as a child were nothing like that. <laughs> um, I just remember as a kid, every time I went to go get my teeth cleaned, I seemed to have a cavity and I had to get a shot and get yeah. drilled. And I didn't feel like I was part of the process at all. So um, it was just such a pleasant thing. And, and so that evening we got back to his house and, and I just decided I wanted to be a dentist, hmm. um, complete career nice. change. And, and so um, 
and, and I wanted to care for people. Like I saw him and his dad, it was, it, it just really resonated with me how they were helping people and, and how it was just such a win-win environment. So long story short, I returned to Atlanta, uh, minus my wisdom teeth, <laughs> and I plotted out a, a path on how to become a dentist. Now, not having taken college courses in science or biology, I ended up taking prerequisites over about four years throughout the different places in Atlanta. Wow. Uh, I took them in the evening while I was working full time because I didn't have the capacity to just quit and be a student. Um, then in 1996, I was accepted and went off to dental school. Wow. I went back to West Virginia where I did my undergrad. I had connections there. Uh, upon graduation in 2000, I returned back to Atlanta uh, to start practicing. Um, I would say at this point, I was in my early 30s, 32, 33. So that was a kind of a convoluted journey there that got me there. Um, so that's my story to my path to being a dentist. <laughs> and so we're going to kind of dive into TMD. So maybe okay. you can give us, define what TMD is, why, what's your passion, why you're passionate about TMD and how you got in that direction. And then the one thing that always confuses people, and maybe you can clear it up is, What's the difference between TMJ and TMD? Because they're used interchangeably, but they actually mean very different things. Yeah, th those are wonderful questions. And you, you threw a few out there at once. So I'll try to peel them away one at a time here. Yeah. Um, what drives my passion and, or my story behind it, about the time I became a dentist, um, I personally started having some jaw pain, some neck pain, um, and I'd cracked a tooth or two. Mm. You know, being a dentist, I had some connections with other dentists in the community. So I kind of knew who was good and who may not I want to go to. Um, and so I, having my teeth fixed after the cracks, I was still having the jaw pain and the headaches. You know, at that point, I realized, you know, we don't really um, get much training on TMD in dental school. You know, there's not much to it. And so I continued searching to try to get my problem solved. And that was quite a journey in and of itself. I was finally referred to an oral surgeon that quote unquote specialized in TMJ. Mm. Um, and we'll touch on this a little bit probably later, but oral surgeons are maybe the only people in dentistry that get any kind of depth of training on the joint. Mm -hmm. um, but, but their world is surgery. Um, right. So, so they're, they have a very specific amount of training on surgical remedies. So anyway, long story short, the surgeon turned me on to somebody that's a restorative dentist like myself, um, but had the training and skill to treat TMD. Um, so I progressed through care with him and, and fairly quickly I got much better. And at that point I decided I wanted to learn how to do this and help others because yeah. it, it was a journey for me and, and I wasn't getting help. And so I, uh, so he graciously mentored me and guided me on an educational path you know, to learn and understand and how it helped treat TMD patients. Uh, I vigorously dove into the training and education. I travel all over the country, seeking out the best people in the field. I would do some years, two, 300 hours of continuing education. Wow. Um, That's just, a lot. You know, yeah, oh, it's a ton. It's a ton. My, my family reminds me of that often. <laughs> <laughs> um, so as I honed my skills and I was starting to treat patients with pain and TMD, what I found was a really a tremendous sense of gratitude and pleasure watching people get better. Yeah. I, I assume you guys feel that when you get somebody that's definitely, you know, in chronic pain. So for about the past decade or so, um, about half of my restorative solo dental practice focuses strictly on TMD and pain patients. Mm. 
Um, the other half is traditional dentistry, crowns, veneers, things like that. Um, I hope that wasn't too long winded for you. Absolutely not. No. So, so getting to your, your next question about, um, TMJ, TMD, the nomenclature, mm-hmm. um, there's definitely a lot of confusion out there now. So what TMJ is, it's short for the term temporo mandibular joint. And that's basically just the body parts that make up the jaw joint, just right. like your knee. We, we all have two of them. We have one on the left, one on the right. They sit right in front of the ear. Um, basically, they're the foundation of what allows our jaws to move, which allows us to chew and whistle and swallow, talk and all that. So, so TMJ is just a broad brush. It's like saying knee. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, TMD, what that is short for is temporomandibular dysfunction or disorder. And somewhere along the line that got thrown in there to kind of breadbasket all the different things that can happen that aren't healthy for your jaw. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty much a catch-all phrase. Um, you know, I'm not really a fan of either of those terms, to be honest with you, because they don't tell us anything specific about what causes the problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and I think they confuse people more. I, I have people come in all the time. They say, I have TMJ or I have TMD. And then I'm just kind of, say, okay, great. Look, Tell me what's going on. And it might, they might have a cervical spine problem that's manifesting itself in their jaw. Yeah. So um, that's kind of where that is. The, the nomenclature is is not the greatest. It's funny. You, you said that. We get people all the time who say, I, I have TMJ. It's like, well, I hope so. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, and, you know, but that's what they know. You meet people where they are and, and exactly. they know what they know. And I, you know, our job is to try to help them figure out what's going on and how we can make them better. I think maybe that's actually a, a better segue into um, talking about like what are some of the actual diagnoses behind TMD. So, um, what, what? And I know there, there's joint related, there's muscle related. Can you talk us through some of the the actual diagnoses um, of TMD, and then? maybe how you sort of evaluate, like ascertain that diagnosis through evaluation. Sure, sure. Um, so diagnosis of TMD, that, that's another, you know, kind of challenging black hole. Yeah. You know, diagnose in the medical world, as you know, there are diagnostic codes that have to be followed. Um, and so terms like arthralgia, which is just joint pain or myalgia, which is muscle pain, or terms like trismus, which is your locked jaw. Mm-hmm. Um, they're diagnostic codes and terms, but they're really the result of something else. Yeah. Um, in my evaluation process, I look for root causes, you know, that may be parts of what is causing the problem for the pain. Um, most often I find multiple things or multiple inputs uh, trying to come up with a differential diagnosis. Mm-hmm. You know, from that differential diagnosis, uh, you know, I have some processes that I'll put do testing on to, to try to confirm or deny that differential diagnosis. Um, sometimes the help of other caregivers I need just to even help with the diagnosis. Mm-hmm. You know, so like I said, some people come in and, and their problem is really their cervical spine or it's their breathing. And, and those are a little bit out of my scope. So just really look, do a very thorough evaluation. And I can dive into that more if you'd like me to on, on the specifics. Um, but the, the big thing for me or for the patients to remember for me is that the TMD is not a tooth or a bite problem specifically. A lot of people, when they end up at a dentist, they think it's, oh, my teeth, or I got to do this. Um, that's just a small piece of what it can potentially be from. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Now, there are numerous things that can contribute to TMD. Like the things that I see that are the most common are a combination of any of these things like previous trauma to the jaw joint, maybe from falling off your bike as a kid or wrestling with your sibling or a whiplash type auto incident mm. sports. I mean, if you ever, if you ever played sports, we've all had head face smacked around at one point or another. Um, another really big thing that we see is, is a bite that might be a little bit or a lot out of balance mm -hmm. along with a parafunctional habit. Mm -hmm. uh, parafunctional habit is like clenching or grinding the teeth or something like that, clicking your teeth. Now, some other common inputs might be um, an unhealthy or strained cervical spine. You have something you guys I'm sure see all the time. Mm -hmm. um, another one that, that's a little bit newer in our knowledge base, but I think is hugely important is compensation from breathing. Mm -hmm. That's not ideal. Um, you know, everybody uses the term sleep apnea as a breathing problem, but sleep apnea is really an end stage disease. And there's a million things on the road up to sleep apnea that are breathing, I'll call them imperfections mm -hmm. that we compensate for. Mm -hmm. And we use our lower jaw to, if we mouth breathe, we're using our lower jaw to jet out and open. And that's not what it's designed for. So things like that. You know, sometimes it's also can be like hormonal or inflammation yeah. or dietary issues. Um, and then sometimes it's just central nervous system, sympathetic, neurologic, bad luck, I call it. Yeah. Uh, things we don't really have all the answers to, but, you know, you you just do these things. <laughs> yeah, I, I'd have to agree. I More often than not, the, the individual who comes in with a TMD, uh, Oftentimes it's it's multifactorial, isn't it? It's I, I had somebody just the other day who was like, I chew an entire pack of gum all day long. My diet's out of whack. I don't sleep well. I stress a ton. And it's like, oh, and it happens to be that the jaw is the place that kind of is is crucified because of all of those things. Is is that kind of your experience as well? Absolutely one hundred percent. Um you know, like I said, some of it ends up being a little bit more of an anatomical misalignment that, you know, they had trauma, but a lot of it is a combination of everything you said that, you know, the sympathetics are an overload. And, you know, in our society today, I, that seems like every patient comes in with high level, high rate sympathetics. Yeah. And, and the, I think the jaw is one of the places that that manifests. They, they clench, they grind. Yep. Um, you know, we, we can go into, you know, how well does the tongue work? Do they have ideal tongue posture? You know, they have a tongue tie that was undiagnosed. They have a giant tongue for a small mouth. Yeah. Um, all those things play a role. Um, just you were talking about breathing because I feel like there's been a big push recently for about nasal versus mouth breathing. And that book came out um, from James Nestor about the power of, of nasal breathing. So what are your thoughts on being a nasal breather versus a mouth breather related to jaw dysfunction? Oh, well, I think what we know now, and like you said, this is a little bit newer field as far as having long-term data in science, but, but all the, the data that's out there now that we believe, um, obviously we should be breathing through the nose, lips together, teeth slightly apart, nasal breathing. Um, the advantages to that are as the air comes through the nose, goes over the turbinates, converts to nitric oxide. Nitric oxide allows the oxygen exchange with the blood better in the lungs, blah, blah, blah. Um, mm -hmm. so, so when you mouth breathe, you lose the ability or you lose some of that benefit of the nitric oxide 
conversion, which means the lungs have to work harder, which in your world, the diaphragm works harder, all yeah. the, the down chain events. What we find with people that breathe through their mouth is you have to posture your jaw. So you're using jaw mm -hmm. muscles. Um, I, I like to use an example with patients where I said, imagine if you, you know, just put your hand up in the air, raise your hand for a couple seconds, leave it up there for 10 or 15 and see what starts happening to your shoulder. And then try mm -hmm. to leave it up there for like a minute. Uh, I said, that's what happens when you're mouth breathing. You're compensating and using that jaw in a way it's not designed to be used under constant strain. Mm. Um, and, and so there's definitely an impact with that. You know, then we can go into the sympathetics. Mm. You know, if they're, sure. if they're not getting good oxygen exchange, they're not getting good breaths. The sympathetics are increased and all the things that go with that. Yeah, we with all of our clients, you know, we do focus a lot on breath, just teaching them how to breathe sure. into the belly instead of being such a chest breather and using all the accessory neck muscles, because that does contribute so much with, you know, neck pain, jaw pain, headaches, all of that. So I um, have been a big advocate of teaching people to be better nasal breathers and, and some of the hardcore people even tape their mouth shut when they sleep to make themselves nasal breathers. That's hard. I was <laughs> yeah. one of those. Are you? I, I did that. I was a mouth breather all my life and, uh -huh. um, and I didn't really understand it. And then as I went through this learning journey, actually my, my youngest daughter, she was having some problems. I was watching her mouth kind of change. She was seven or eight years old. Her jaw, her bite was collapsing, her mm -hmm. all kinds of stuff like that. And, and I took her to numerous medical doctors for evaluations and she checked out fine through everything. She could nasal breathe, but she wasn't. And, mm -hmm. and so I started diving in a little deeper and I heard this thing called tongue tie that I learned about. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. then I looked at her while well, she was tongue tied mm -hmm. or tethered oral yeah. tissue, whatever we want to call it. So. So with her, we had her tongue tie released, got her some myofunctional therapy. And, but then I had to retrain her because she had learned to mouth breathe because yeah. her tongue couldn't posture up to the roof of her mouth and seal her mouth. Well, and while I'm going through this, I realized that was me. So mm -hmm. I had my tongue tie released and, and we both, she was, I don't know, seven or eight years old and I'm my late forties and we're sleeping with tape on her mouth. <laughs> um, <laughs> Fortunately for me, uh, it took about a month and I trained my body and now I'm a complete nasal breather. Crazy. Uh, some people I find they have to do it kind of forever, especially adults. Um, and then we also use some things. I don't know if you've ever heard of the mute nasal dilators. Mm -hmm. they're, they're, no. they're like breathe right strips, but they go inside your nose and they just yeah. open it up to give it more room, trying to help you help yourself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's funny you say that about mouth tape. I am a victim of that myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, I may have to try it. <laughs> so, um, Dr. Bear, so T TMD is is one of the the most prevalent musculoskeletal conditions out there. I think I read recently, aside from low back pain, it's the second most prevalent musculoskeletal condition out there. So, in, in spite of high levels of of prevalence, why do you f see that? Or, or do you see that TMD is, is mismanaged? I think that I see these patients get bounced around from practitioner to practitioner, and no one really seems to kind of have a, a really, really firm handle on, on where these people fit. So wh why is that? What is it about TMD that uh, is kind of makes it tricky? So Jake, that's a great question. Um, and I have a pretty strong opinion on that because... 
I do. Um, I would say it's because it doesn't fall under the purview of any single caregiver. Um, the, the dental school curriculum spends very little time on the subject other than kind of the anatomy. Um, the medical school curriculum, I believe, doesn't cover it much either. Um, even in physical therapy and chiropractic curriculums, it seems to be a little bit glossed over. Um, the ones that seem to have the most education, like I said earlier, are the oral maxillofacial surgeons, mm. but most of their training is in surgical management. And so, you know, and they're, most of those guys are pretty busy with wisdom teeth and other stuff. So, so that's not something most of them focus on. Um, right. I believe somehow it got thrown under the dental umbrella, mainly because it's part of the mouth. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, it isn't really part of the dental school curriculum. You know, I find that most of us that choose to learn and treat TMD, it comes from a passion and desire to do it. And we search out knowledge and training to try to get to learn it. There, There is no TMD school. I can't go sign up and become a, you know, hey, I'm going to take these classes. And I'm a TMD guy. You really have to search out ec extra areas, people that are specialized in one piece or another. Um, I know that I've taken classes, you know, I've taken them at a physical therapy institute. I don't know if you've ever heard of PRI, yep. uh, sort of institute. I've actually taken courses there. Um, I've done chiropractic training. Um, I've gone to courses on nutrition. I have extensive training on breathing and airway. Mm -hmm. um, fortunately for me, I latched on to a mentor uh, that has almost 50 years of experience treating TMD. And that's probably been my single biggest one because he took all the bumps and bruises learning this stuff when nothing else was out there and and he's been gracious enough to share and guide in that direction but it's a problem it's a problem because the medical you know you would think ent's might know because they work in that area they, right. they know anatomy but they really don't have any training in how it works and why so there, there's nowhere that you know to get your license to do something is anybody getting the training to address this but do you feel like there's a lot of dentists i think that don't refer out either you know if it's something that they don't know what you know is going on they don't even refer out meaning to say a physical therapist so do you feel like there's some lack of education just in the dental world that physical therapy could help some of these people yes yes i i, I how do i say this kindly I, I think there's a few things a lack of knowledge Mm -hmm. um, and, and my experience is that, is that most dentists are genuinely caring people. Mm -hmm. um, but if you don't know, if you don't have the tools in your tool belt, you don't necessarily know what to do. Um, sure. So, you know, you just, a lot of dentists will just give somebody a quote unquote night guard because they read it in the magazine or they saw it on a blog post that that's one of the things that works. And, and that's the extent of their tool belt. And then they don't know what to do. But that's such a small piece of the big picture. And if they don't have the training and, and education on how to how to design that particular device and what it's used for and how to adjust it and how to marry it with some physical therapy or, or even chiropractic or whatever, um, it's just kind of just, I don't do it. Or they don't, you know, they say, I, you know, this is all I can do. I don't know. Go yeah. call your primary care physician. It, it's interesting you say that because I, I think generally – most practitioners, whether it be PT, dentistry, phys physicians, most of us get into medicine because we want to help people. And I heard the phrase once that desperate clients cause desperate clinicians to do desperate things. <laughs> um, yeah, that's so true. Which is, I've, I've been guilty of that before because I so wanted to help somebody, but maybe yep. it wasn't what they needed. And maybe I didn't have the breadth of knowledge to know that oh, there's somebody else 
better for them than this. So um, it's an easy trap to fall into as a practitioner because we we care. We want to help people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe um, we could talk a little bit from a patient perspective. If if somebody is has jaw pain and they're looking for a practitioner to help them, what would you suggest they look for in someone? Because like you said, there's no really specialists for TMD just for them to kind of rule out or, or navigate this path of, of finding relief? Yeah, that, that's a great question too. And, and I'm not sure there's a simple answer. You know, sure. being a dentist, that, that's where my, you know, my eyes go or this question goes towards me. The, the small percentage of us that do this, I, I'd like to say that we're kind of the first line because mm-hmm. we look at if we're doing a proper history and a proper diagnosis and evaluation, we're starting to uncover these things like cervical spine issues, compensations to breathing, you know, actual joint pathology, tooth and dental alignment problems. Um, so the problem is there's just not many of us who do it. Yeah. And, and, you know, but I, I think that's a great place to start. But, you know, guys like you that, that have an understanding of it, PTs, that, that you, you have your skill sets in your part and you can see, hey, this is not right. This this part of the body needs addressed and it's out of my scope. Here's who needs to do it. Yeah. Uh, I'll be honest with you. The vast majority of my referrals are from ENTs because hmm. people go to them for ear pain or side of the face pain. They think it's their ear. And I've been fortunate enough to build some relationships with the ENTs that spend some time teaching them about this and have them do a cursory exam to kind of give them a quick differential diagnosis of this isn't an ear problem. This is probably a jaw problem. Um, yeah, but yeah, I think as a profession, it would be hugely beneficial for all of these different facets, like the medical model, physical therapy, dental, even chiropractic to, um, to just be more open-minded and, and Mm -hmm. realize what they can do and can't do and understand more of what the parts are and who need you need to help you. It's just not out there very much yet, unfortunately. So if someone had jaw pain or was referred to you, walk us through what does an evaluation process look like with you? And then what is a typical plan of care? What could somebody expect to see when they come and see you? Okay. Um, A typical evaluation would really start um, with an interview and a a conversation with the patient. Um, Spend a lot of time on that, going over their history, trying to find out, did they, you know, did they play sports? Did they have any history that they weren't aware of of an injury? Um, and then we start diving a lot deeper into the specifics of what are they experiencing, you know, cause people say, well, my jaw hurts or this, but try to dive in a little deeper so that we can try to find the reasons. Um, from there, we move into a physical exam You know, the physical exam evaluation usually includes looking at the oral structures, such as the teeth and the gums and the tongue. And, and really what we're looking for there is signs of, you know, their history. If they're, if they have wear on their teeth. That tells me they've been grinding them, you know, parafunction. If they have recession of their gums, that tells me the system's out of balance and things are breaking down. Um, all kinds of stuff like that. You know, things we look at at the tongue. Is it scalloped? Does it have dents mm-hmm. on the side? That would lead me to say they're having a tongue thrust habit, which would guide me into an airway belief. Mm-hmm. Um, I even use my mirror and look up their nose sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> look and see, do they have their septums? You know, does their airway look good or do they have a collapsed septum to one side? Mm. Um, all that kind of stuff. Um, 
and then and then we often um what i do from there is evaluate the muscles that's kind of the next step we palpate various muscles i won't go into all of the names of them there but it's really the jaw the head the front of the neck the back of the neck i personally don't get too far down in the shoulder area just mm-hmm. just because uh, i leave that mm-hmm. up to you guys <laughs> um and then based on that, we try to figure out why is this muscle doing this? Why is this muscle sore? Um, and then I will go through various motions of the jaw, have them do different things, move it different directions, see is it moving properly, left, right, forward. Uh, we check how the, the actual condition of the joints, palpate the, the two joints to feel is there inflammation, have them move around. Does the, does, does the joint move properly or does a disc slide and pop and click? Those kind of things. Uh, really looking for the anatomical alignment between the joints and the teeth and the muscles. You know, are they balanced or yeah. unbalanced? So we're trying to paint a picture of what are they doing and, and what is their anatomical situation. Um, and the other part of your question, I, I, I'm not sure there is a typical plan necessarily sure. um, because the causes can be so variable and individual. Um, but often, you know, in what I have to offer, occlusal appliance therapy is initiated. I would say the vast majority of patients that I see have an imbalanced oral bite structure. Um, you know, some people have that, but they don't do anything. They don't clench, they don't grind, so it's not a problem. Um, right. Others that have a little bit of imbalance, if they're using it a lot, then it starts to create problems. Um, I use a simple analogy like your car. If your car's pulling to the right and your tires are out of balance, well, if you're only driving five miles an hour, to the grocery store, you don't notice it. It's not a problem. If you're going 90 miles an hour up and down the highway, uh-huh. it's it's wobbling and shaking and wearing out that car pretty quick. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. so, so the process of working towards getting balance and the harmony back in the system is really kind of what we look at. Yeah. And one of my bigger tools is we like to call it appliance therapy, not a night guard, because it's a lot more detailed than just giving somebody a thing to put in their mouth. Could you talk a little bit more about appliance therapy in terms of like if somebody is issued one like what's ideal because we get some you know and they they're they have all these it restricts their motions so much that they're actually biting more yeah um so what's an ideal appliance from your perspective should it look like um so you know this is one of those age-old arguments that people have should you use a top or a bottom what are the benefits and and i'll try to go through some of that um first thing we want to look at is what is the health of the joint i mean i kind of look at it the joint situation uh, you you want an appliance that will do its best job when you design how the teeth interdigitate with it to give stability to the joint Um, if the joint's inflamed you want to unload it if it's healthy you want to load it into the center of the socket. Um, That's kind of the Reader's Digest version of that. And and then the ideal biting anatomy or alignment is when the jaw joints are sitting in the center of the socket and the teeth come up to interdigitate with each other, all the back teeth should hit with even intensity contacts. The front teeth should either barely hit or what we call a near miss. You don't want force on the front teeth. Then, then from there, any motion outside of that, gr- left or right or forward motion, the back teeth should immediately disclude. You shouldn't have any lateral forces on the back teeth, and the front teeth should slide and glide across the device as smooth as possible 
to be in harmony with the anatomical situation in the joint. Um, you you want to take friction out of the system as much as possible. You know, hard night guards are an absolute. The soft night guards, anybody that has any lateral movement whatsoever, they increase muscle activity, they increase um, activity, which can create more problems. You know, we, we have a, a quite the debate in the dental world. Should you do a top appliance or a bottom one? Um, at the end of the day, if it's really meticulously done, they kind of do the same thing for anatomy. I personally do mostly lower ones, bottom ones, because I believe that there's, in most of these patients, there's cranial strain locked up in their cranium. And, and when you put something on the posterior upper teeth that cross arch, like a guard or braces or anything, you lock in those cranial strains. Mm. So even though you can reduce the muscle activity, you, you, you don't allow the cranium to get, have the freedom that it needs because the upper jaw is the base of the skull, the base of the cranium. And, and when you hold together or lock in that posterior segment, you, you reduce the ability for other caregivers or the body itself to decompress cranial strength. For somebody who has, let's call it some anatomical features that are non-ideal, let's, let's use an extreme case of, of somebody who has like a, a really extreme anterior malocclusion where they have no contact at all in their anterior teeth. Like, can, can you uh, appliance your, your way around that? Or do, is that a, a case where that person needs uh, see an orthodontist or a surgeon or, or even to kind of look at other things where maybe an appliance may not completely bounce out of the system or can you get around it? So that that's an awesome question. Um, the, the goal or my goal is I always want to test my hypothesis or diagnosis non-invasively. Mm -hmm. um, almost 100% of the time we can divide, design some type of appliance to compensate for that, we'll call it dysfunction or that that poor anatomy sure. it might not be the most comfortable thing or the prettiest thing in the world because it might be real thick in an area but but i want to see before we go down that road of oral surgeon or orthodontics or extensive dental work i want to test that it's going to work yeah i mean the last thing you want to do is send somebody send somebody and have them do a surgery or do braces and and they have these pretty teeth but they're no better because mm -hmm. that wasn't their problem yeah so yeah, I, I almost 100% of the time want to test it out. So the appliances that we use, you know, they're therapeutic, but they're also diagnostic. Mm. Um, and, and I want to make sure if I can get somebody comfortable on it, then I can tell them confidently, hey, your your problem is this. Mm -hmm. you know, if, without that doing that, sense. I can only give them a best guess of what their problem is. Um, totally. So, so the answer to that is yes. I almost 100% of the time want to use some kind of non-invasive therapy to confirm my diagnosis. Yeah. And then if they get better, then we confirmed it. If they don't get better, we have to, we're back in the drawing board trying to figure it out. That makes a lot of sense. We can definitely see your passion for treating TMD. And, and what we always <laughs> hear from your patients is how much they enjoy coming to see you because of you educate them on the true cause and what, your treatment plan is so which is very similar to how we treat you know um sure. just really providing a lot of education because people come to us seeking knowledge and seeking answers so we can surely see like just how much you know you spend with your clients but like from your perspective why do you feel like educating is so important in this world of um healthcare cookie cutter healthcare and 
you know, getting people in and out of the office as quickly as possible. Yeah, that's great. Um, I, I'm a true believer that the patient is their own best doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the more they know and understand their condition, the more likely they are to be engaged in what they can do to help themselves and how they can help us or whoever's helping them help themselves do it better. Um, you know, I, I have to agree with you 100% on the cookie cutter medicine model of in and out in a couple minutes. And I think, unfortunately, it's created a society of people that want a quick fix to stuff that's not a quick solution. Yeah. You know, can you just give me a pill? Can you can you just do this? Um, so you know, true. I, I don't necessarily want to go through this therapy. Can can I just get braces? Well, you can, but I, we don't know if they're going to work, you know. Mm-hmm. So so it, it's a passion to me. I, you know, and I've been doing it long enough that I've seen the results and, it, and it's really fulfilling. Um. You know, often with TMD, just like with a lot of stuff that you guys do, this is a lifetime issue. You know, we don't necessarily fix them forever. We're getting them into a much better, healthier place from a situation that was pretty dysfunctional. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want them to understand that, they, that it's their situation and they have a lot of a lot of responsibility and a lot of ownership towards their long-term health. Yeah. So, you know, the more information I give them. Also with TMB, TMD, sorry, TMD being so multifactorial, um, and with so much misinformation around it, I, I just really like to educate and try to help simplify the complex stuff for the patient. Totally. It's great. Okay, so they come in with, you know, their biases, what they heard from a friend or the internet, and it may be accurate. It may not. Um, but I think the more, you know, the more they get good quality, accurate information, the better they are at helping themselves. Yeah. So I know you mentioned this earlier. You, one of the things that drew you into dentistry was um, just the the fulfillment that you got from helping people and, and seeing people's lives change. Is there one particular patient success story that brought you some particular satisfaction that you'd like to share? Um, gosh, uh, there are so many. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, but th- yeah, I would say they're they're you know it's it's just as you know it's super rewarding to be able to help someone you know, get better when they've been dealing with a pain issue for a long time and they're not getting anywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, they've been in and out of the traditional model and they might wax and wane a little better or not better. And then they get on, unfortunately, into the pharmaceutical model after that. Um, so, it, you know, those are just really good to, to good feeling when you do that. Um, but one story that comes to mind, actually, um, because it's such a common occurrence that I see, I had a lady that she was, she started on a really kind of what I would call holistic health journey. Yeah. And, and she was doing all kinds of really good stuff. She got their diet under control, you know, meditation, yoga, all the, all the holistic things. Um, and so she wanted to get her old amalgam fillings out of her mouth. Mm. She had read that there's mercury in them and she was told through some of her friends and people in this journey. And, and so she, she searched out someone that does that specifically uh, which is great. Um, so she had some restorations. She had the, the old sore fillings removed and she had some restorations replaced in her mouth of a more biocompatible material. Um, but in the process of doing this, her, her bite was changed. She, they, they did, you know, they worked on some of those back teeth and changing things. Um, but her bite, I don't want to say it's messed up, but it was changed. And so this set off a cascade of events that led her to having led led down the road to her having severe jaw pain and headaches. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and so she was she got referred to me i honestly can't remember who referred her but she ended up getting to me and you know through the evaluation process and the workup uh, we uncovered multiple areas of her situation where she was just compensating for things for a long time so she wasn't having any outward pain or any problems but she had a whole bunch of signs that were there kind of like the bucket was almost full and just changing her bite enough kind of tipped the bucket over and then the river started opening up a problem mm. um yeah so we were able to fairly quickly get her out of pain and the headaches with what i do but she still had all these underlying problems and and you know through some referrals and some various caregivers that she met and and some things in her holistic world we were really able to get her to where you know she is in impeccable shape her back is better you know she over a period of time we worked on all the underlying factors you know numerous aspects of her health improved her breathing got better mm. our sleep got better uh, we had elimination of chronic back pain um you know once all of her symptoms were relieved then then we had to circle back around and and say okay we got to get your bike fixed now because this was the kind of proverbial final straw and once everything's stable for me, the doing the dental part is actually kind of easy. Yeah. Um, so we, you know, we did the restorative work to get her bite back, and it's just a really exciting story because she's got a full body, full health now. Yeah. I mean, I could have gone in and you know replaced her restorations and given her a better bite, but that wouldn't have solved any of her other problems. It's a it's a good story of uh, kind of captures the how important a multidisciplinary approach is when you have a team of people that can kind of work together for your patients. Uh, and I think patients see that and appreciate the, the knowledge and the, the wisdom of a practitioner say, oh, we need to pull in this person and we need to do these types of things. And that really shows your care for people. Yeah, thanks. You know, that circles back around to why I like to talk to them and educate them so much, because, you know, my experience is a lot of these people that get to me, at least they they've been um, bounced around through the medical model mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and, and sometimes, you know, the, the medical people are nice, but don't have a solution. Sometimes they just kind of blow them off as if they're crazy. Yep. Um, yeah. so, so in order to get them to buy into getting referrals to different people, uh, I really like them to understand, Hey, you know, this is, here's what I can do for you, but I can't fix your breathing. I can't fix your cervical spine. Mm -hmm. You know, if your hips are off, I can't help your hips. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. you know, if you're breathing, not diaphragmatically breathing, all these things need to get better. If you want to get better, I can't just do this through your teeth. Mm -hmm. So, um, so yeah, no, it's a, it's definitely a group project. And unfortunately, <laughs> like I said, there's, there's no school, there's no, you know, mm -hmm. institute where all this stuff's under one roof. Well, this has been really great. Just learning about, um, TMD. I mean, we love treating it. We love working with providers that enjoy treating it. Um, so maybe we can just end. Um, where where exactly is your office if people want to schedule with you? Uh, my office is um, in the perimeter area, right uh -huh. by Northside Hospital. It's in a complex called the Medical Quarters at 5555 Peachtree Dunwoody Road. Um, yeah, right by Northside Hospital is what I tell everyone. This has been really, really good and, and really informative. And um, we'll put your information, your website in, in our show notes so that people can find you. And um, so I, I really yeah. think that you, you have helped some, some people uh, of mine and I, I appreciate that help. And um, so 
again, thank you so much for joining us and, and taking the time uh, to talk with us today. All right. Thanks, guys. This was a pleasure. I really enjoyed it. And um, look forward to spending more time with you guys. Welcome back, everybody, to Made for More. We just finished speaking with Dr. Rodney Baer. Um, and I, I thought he just gave a great explanation for um, all the kind of difficulties individuals with jaw pain have when navigating the medical model. And um, I have had many individuals go and see him, some that, that, that I've sent and some who just happened to find me because they'd seen him and uh, nothing but amazing things to say about him. And even when I've gone and spent time with him, I mean, he's just spent a ton of time, even just ed educating me and, and, and giving me information. And so I, I just really appreciate that type of practitioner who takes right. the time, who's really a, a passionate about the care that they do. And so he's a, he's a great practitioner and look forward to working with him more in the future. So one of the things that I, I thought might be good is that if Lauren and I kind of talk about what the physical therapy side of treating jaw pain is and what it looks like, because not a lot of people know that physical therapists can be primary care for jaw pain, for headaches, um, for ear pain, things of that nature. And so let's just go through real quick, Lauren, on how it is we evaluate and treat um, TMD. And so mm -hmm. tell us what, what does an evaluation look like for TMD and, and what do you kind of look for with those uh, individuals? I think he alluded to some of the things that we look at. And when we somebody comes into our office, of course, we're doing a history to kind of see what what is the the background? What are some of those parafunctional habits that he mentioned? Do they clench? Do they bite their fingernails? Are they stressed? You know, how do they sleep? All of that. And then you've got to look at the whole, at least upper quarter. Um, so we will look at posture, like how forward is the head? How rounded are the shoulders? Because if you're tight in those areas, you're going to be more of that chest breather, like he was mentioning. And that puts a lot of strain on your head and neck muscles. And then we go into just neck range of motion. So like how much mobility do you have in your neck? Um, and is, is it limited? What, what could be some of those factors that are limiting that as well in their function? If they're a desk worker, like how does that contribute to it? Is your computer positioned properly? Are you sitting tall through your head or are you just always slouched? Um, so that's, that's first where it starts. And then we, we palpate, meaning we touch the, the, jaw we touch the face and we have them open and close while we're palpating their jaw joint the tmj to see is their clicking popping is there what we call crepitus meaning some grinding or arthritic changes um is it tender and then we go down into the jaw to check the muscles the masseter um go up a little bit the temporalis which is on the sides of your head and then I even go into the occiput which is the back of the head because there can be so much tension if it's somebody that has chronic headaches what people don't realize is their fascia on the tissues. So you have your skin on your scalp, you've got the muscle underneath and it's a flat muscle and there's fascia between those. And sometimes people's fascia is so tight in their head simply from grinding in their, their jaw tension. So I really go in and just start looking at those soft tissues because doing just 
work on those can fix a problem so easily. And I haven't even touched like the inside of their mouth. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and then we measure what is their opening? Like how wide can they open their jaw? How much can they do what we call lateral excursion, meaning taking that bottom jaw and moving it side to side. So we actually put a measurement to that. And then we look at how much they can protrude their bottom jaw. So can they slide the bottom jaw forward and slide it back so that they can get full opening. So that's really where it starts is just a lot of objective measurements Mm -hmm. and the history. Mm -hmm. And then we dive into the treatment. So Jake, I'll let you talk about treatment and any of those other things I just mentioned, if you want to elaborate. Yeah. Yeah. I think for regardless of what the diagnosis is, Mm -hmm. I'm always looking at cervical spine. Yeah. Um, when I had jaw issues, I went and saw a TMD uh, clinician. And, you know, one of the things that he said with me when I was 15 years old that has stuck with me now 15 plus years later was one angry neighbor pisses off the whole neighborhood. And so mm-hmm. um, he, he really drove home that point to me. And so uh, I think of the jaw as, as not just, I'm not just looking at the jaw, I'm looking at the neck. I'm looking at the shoulders. I'm looking at the posture. And so, like you said, and so I always treat the jaw. I want to look at joint mobility, or excuse me, I always treat the neck. I want to look at joint mobility. I want to look at muscle connection. And if you think about like the neck is really the conduit from the the thorax to the head and the, the head and the jaw are directly connected. And so it's all connected. And so I want to make sure that those muscles supporting that structure are are, are strong but are relaxed. Most, more often than not, one of our primary goals for treatment of jaw pain is unload the jaw. It's, mm-hmm. it's not more complicated than that when it comes to actual joint pain and muscle pain is we've got to unload it. Dr. Bear gave the analogy of uh, having someone take their arm and hold it in the air for several minutes and you realize your arm gets tired. I give the analogy of if you're clenching at the jaw, if you're loading the jaw joint, that's like walking around all day long with bicep curls, with a weight in your arm, with your bicep curl. Like that muscle is going to get really sore after that. Now do that day after day. It's going to get really sore and really angry. And so I spend a lot of time working with the muscles on the neck, working with the muscles on the jaw. And then you alluded to something, which is the internal work. We go in people's mouths, right? Like there are multiple sides. We can't do everything we need to do externally. We have to go internally as well. There's certain muscles that we just cannot get to otherwise. Um, we do a lot of joint mobilization to the jaw. Again, if we want to unload the joint, we need to start prying that joint open, right? Sometimes it's stuck or sometimes we just need to evaluate. So we're, we're getting our hands actually in the jaw to look at what the movement looks like. And that stuff actually feels pretty good. People really like that type of work. So you can expect to get some internal work as well. Mm-hmm. And then the biggest thing that I think is, is at least 50% of the pie is the education. So mm-hmm. Lauren, talk about the education and then we, we can talk about exercises that we do after that. Yeah. So, you know, the resting position of the jaw joint is tongue up, teeth apart. Like we don't want to be constantly clenching in the back. So we always tell people when you're sitting at your desk, when you're you know driving your car, think about your jaw posture and keep that. If you keep your tongue on the roof of your mouth, 
you can't clench your back jaw. You can't, those, those teeth in the back can't come together. So that is number one. Um, and the other thing I would mention, um, just because people don't see this correlation, but clenching your teeth causes your pelvic floor to tighten up. Mm-hmm. It just happens naturally. So if you can relax that jaw and not clench, you're not going to, you may not have as many issues in your pelvic floor, meaning leaking when you last sneeze or cough or feeling like urgency when you're running. So that's just an aside. But, um, the exercise that we'd like to give people for, to also prevent some of the tightness that Jake was talking about is what we call wiggle at will, meaning you open your mouth just slightly and you wiggle your bottom jaw side to side just to release those muscles that um, are causing so much tension. Um, So those are like two things in terms of of posture, but we also talk about, you know, how are you sleeping? Because we mentioned sleep is such a big thing. If you're a mouth breather, if you're a clencher, that can truly affect your jaw and you might wake up with headaches Mm -hmm. um, just from that alone. So we encourage people to get a pillow that's not super thick. It can be a a, a cheap pillow. Um, You can roll up. There's a few different ways, but sometimes as simple as you roll up like a hand towel or a a bath towel, Mm -hmm. roll it up into like a long um, kind of log shape and you slide it into the bottom of your pillowcase so that that um, bump of the, of the towel um, fits into the crook of your neck. Mm -hmm. So it just allows your neck to settle and support the, your neck. And then your head falls down onto the pillow. Mm -hmm. So that's a simple thing that I like, because if you're traveling, you can, there's usually a towel somewhere. If you're at home, there's a towel and you can really adjust how much support you need in that towel by making it thicker or thinner. Mm -hmm. Um, So those are some of the, the, the things that I give people early on just to get them out of that clenching. Yeah. Uh, and the last thing I would say is just some of the educational about parafunction is when we say parafunction, we're talking about bad oral habits, chewing gum, biting your fingernails, mm-hmm. chewing on pencils, uh, the clenching that you talked about. Like it, you, we could do all of the things that we do, the, the massage, the dry needling, the internal work, the exercise. But if the parafunction doesn't change, it won't matter. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'll give an example. I had somebody recently who said they chew a pack of gum a day and they're constantly chewing gum. And I just straight point blank said, you have to stop. Like you're not doing yourself any favors. And again, using the analogy of if you're doing bicep curls all day long, literally all day long, your muscle is going to be extraordinarily overworked and will become painful and pathological over time. And so with the jaw, like we have to give it breaks. Mm -hmm. We talk a lot. We chew a lot. We can't then also layer on top of it constant work, you know, so these are muscles, right? They're muscles, they're joints that we have to take care of. Mm -hmm. And so the parafunctional habits have to change. And, and to, to also talk a little bit about dry needling because dry needling Mm -hmm. really helps for these people, but Mm -hmm. we get so many people that go and get Botox for this. And it's similar to what you were saying, Jake, like Botox is temporary and it might last, you know, three to four months. So it's taking the tension out of the muscle. But if you still don't fix the problem, then once that wears off, it's going to come back Mm -hmm. because you haven't changed the habits that you're doing. So we like to do the dry needling because it gets rid of that tension. But then we educate you on changing those habits. And we actually are treating the problem, not yeah. just again, putting a bandaid on it, which would be Botox to a muscle group 
it's just a Band-Aid. It's yep. not going to fix it. And you're still going to need to be wearing, you know, the bite guard if you're you're clenching yep. or, you know, feeling the need to like take ibuprofen for headaches and jaw pain. Yeah. So I would just kind of caution you to try dry needling first before just diving right into Botox. Exactly. So, well, we hope that this answers some questions about how the heck physical therapy can help with jaw issues. And I know you learned a lot from Dr. Bear and know that these things are complicated. They're multifactorial. And like Dr. Bear said, there's no quick and easy fix to this. So we hope you enjoyed listening and we will see you next time. <music>